Chats from the Blog Cabin. Welcome to a brand new episode. another episode of chats in the blog cabin you know the show where i invite people virtually into the blog cabin to chat about life you know who i am i'm Alyssa. i'm here all the time and today we're going to be chatting about grief and the grief process and how everybody deals with grieving differently but we're talking about not only people that grieve um loss of other people and other circumstances but also grieving about your pets as well and so today kevin ringstaff is joining us and kevin tell us a little bit about yourself Hi, Melissa. Thank you so much for having me on. You know, I have to say, too, that I'm a huge fan of your intro. I don't know if anyone's ever told you that, but I was sitting there in rapt attention. You know, again, uh, thank you for having me on. Um, I'm Kevin Ringstaff from Grieving at Work and PetCloud.pet. Uh, Grieving at Work, we teach uh, management how to talk about and support other people who are going through grief. And with Pet Cloud, it's all about just building a community around people who have lost pets and just need that space to ex- just express their grief and be together. And so how did you get into building a profession around grief? Because a lot of people, that's a really heavy subject and a lot of people don't want to deal with that. So what made you decide to do that? Yeah, exactly. A lot of people don't want to deal with it, like myself included for the first you know three decades of my life. You know, I was in computer science and I was raised in a place where we didn't really talk about grief growing up. And you know, when, when that happens, you just push it down. You hold on to your grief. And when I eventually had, you know, some you know, losses of my own and you know, job losses, relationships, pets, you know, all of that, you know, it, it just builds up and you hold on to it. And it eventually it's going to come out in other areas of your life. And that's what happened to me. And when, and when that happened, you know, I looked out for support and I found, well, I started off with the Association of Pet Loss and Bereavement. And, you know, I got certified through them and then I went and found out about becoming a pet chaplain. Mm-hmm. Then I went through the Grief Recovery Institute. You know, they have a lot of good programs and people around grief there. And finally, now I'm starting to be a board certified hospital chaplain. Wow. So a pet chaplain, that's not something that a lot of people, you know, actually hear about. So tell us what pet chaplains do. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, we don't. Yeah, you're right. We don't hear a lot about it because, you know, it's, it's not something that we really think about when we lose a pet. But it's the exact same as a uh, regular chaplain. Like we talk about, a little bit about faith and what happens when our pets die. 
We do things like hold memorial ceremonies and funeral services. And we just like bring other people together. You know, when we, ha when we have a pet, like I said earlier, we don't think about, you know, bringing all of our friends and family together, everyone who knew them to talk and share stories. And that's one of the, the hallmark things that funerals bring comfort to us by doing. That is so true. So how many pet chaplains are there in the United States? Uh, maybe a dozen or two, not a whole lot. Wow. And where are they mostly located at? Cause I'm like, I know you're on the West coast or it's mostly West coast thing, or is it mostly all over the place or. I would say probably an East coast thing. The gentleman who founded it, Rob Gurka, petchaplain.org. He's based out of North Carolina. He does regular chaplaincy work. And then he's kind of started this whole movement about a decade ago. He's based out of where I'm I'm at right now. I'm in North Carolina. So, wow, I did not even know that. So we t let's talk about how we can help people when they're grieving their pets. Because that's a very important, you know, to go through that grieving mm -hmm. process and not try to just push it, the memories down. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's one of the things that so many people try to do initially in grief. Right. Especially if we don't have that support by support. I mean, someone in your life, like a friend or a family member that you trust enough to go talk with about pet loss. Mm. One of the one of the problems with losing a pet is it's not validated. Mm. People say some terrible things around it. They try to compare it to other grief and like push it away, diminish it, minimize it. And we have to be a little bit careful about who we share our grief with. Mm. It has to be someone that we know, like, and trust who can hold that grief for us. Especially if the people that you're sharing the grief with are not dog, cat, lizards, whatever mm -hmm. has passed away. That type of person, like snakes and things like that. Somebody may not understand why you're crying over your snake dying because, mm -hmm. you know. So I remember when our dogs died. Uh, our first really dog that we had as a family, she was an abandoned dog and she ended up having puppies later on and we kept one of her dogs. Um, and that one just died just a couple of years ago. And it, it, we were all just like so grief stricken because, mm -hmm. you know, they're part of your lives. They become yeah. such a huge part of your everyday life. And so we decided that we were going to take a rose bush and we got a different color because of their personalities and we planted a rose garden. So we have three rose bushes right now. And I am not looking forward to the day when our 10 year old shit, shit suit passes because she is like my baby. She is like, as you see in the, in the intro, she's in the intro, she's all over <laughs> everything that I do. So it's so hard. So how can we process that, you know, because there are some people that immediately want to go out and grab another pet and say, okay, well, I'm replacing this one immediately. Um, you know, think what, what can people do to help themselves through the grieving process? You know, you, you touched on something too. I'll highlight just for a minute moment that people want to go out and replace that loss. Well, we can't do that. They're, they're getting another pet's not going to replace them. It's that unique relationship that we've lost. You know, my dog right now, Sir William Broderick, he's right down here. You can't see him. Big old English sheep dog. You know, he's 13 and a half years old now. He's ending the, he's nearing the end of his life. 
and I look back at all the time that we've spent together, all those moments, all those memories, everything that he's supported me through, all those good times in my life and bad times. And, you know, I can't replace that with another relationship, another dog, any time in my life. It's, it's unique and we can't replace it. And so when, we, when we're thinking about that, you know, it, it's a very unique uh, thing for, for you, the person listening to this. If, if, if you feel that you're ready to start a brand new relationship with a new pet, a new dog or a cat or what have you, then go ahead and do it. And if, and if you feel like you're still holding on to the grief, you're still going through it, then just wait. Mm-hmm. If you're not accountable to anyone else but yourself in this. So what do you say, how do you help your pet deal with the grief? Because we, you know, when you have pets that are like all the time together and they've been together for like years and years and years, and then one passes away, how do you help that pet get through the one that's still alive get through? Yeah, that's hard too. You know, the, the definition of grief is a loss of a familiar pattern or change change in behaviors. And, you know, when, you know, my, my cat Ponce Leon, you might have seen him walking around earlier as he's often want to do. But, you know, I lost his brother Blazer about two years ago now, and they had never spent more than a moment apart. Mm-hmm. When that happens, when you have pets who are so closely bonded and you lose one of them, right? It's that behavior that is still that pattern. It's still, you know, our pets can grieve that just like we do. And we support them just by giving them extra love and attention. Because there's not a whole lot else that we can do, really. That is so true. And so what would you say to someone who is trying to support a friend who has lost a dear pet? Or as I call them, my fur babies, because they're Mm -hmm. not pets they're part of the family. Mm-hmm. So what would you say to, to help if you were a friend of someone who's lost a pet? Yeah, well, the first thing I would you know, suggest to do is that there's nothing that we can say that's going to make it better, right? This is grief in general. There's nothing that we can say or do that's going to make that grieving experience any better. We can't take the pain away. We can just be present for it and say, I'm sorry. And that's really what we do. And we do that for weeks because grief takes time. And there's so many people that discount people that are grieving over losing their pets because they don't understand. Mm -hmm. How can we make people understand that this is important to maybe not to them, but to the other people and to kind of be gentle with other people's feelings Mm -hmm. a lot of that's just teaching people how to be more compassionate more um just more in touch with like emotion like they call it emotional equivalence now iq and eq scores and you know i i actually have a whole course on this too where i'm teaching management how to do this exact thing there's not a lot to learning how to be there for someone Right. There's a lot to grief, a lot to like helping someone go through it. But for a friend or a family member or someone who's not a a professional doing it, it's presence. Right. And just being okay with the silence and the the awkwardness, because when we're seeing someone that we know and love who is grieving, it reminds us that, oh, we've also had I've also had grief. 
I am also going to die at some point, and that's uncomfortable to sit with. And that's why, as a society, especially in America, we just avoid it. <laughs> yeah, we totally avoid it. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want, we act like, sometimes we act like people are still alive because we just want to avoid it. Our pets are still alive. So what do you say to that? The people that are just ignoring that. Well, there's not a whole lot you can say, right? It's just, you know, we, I would say, you know, tell them that, you know, as a friend, you're there to listen. You know, we have communities that, you know, have other people who are going through the same loss. Mm -hmm. Like, for instance, Pet Cloud, we have free Sunday groups. I mean, every single Sunday for anyone who's going through this, this kind of loss. It's just sharing this and being around this. Uh, it's petcloud.pet.pet. And it uh, just being around that community, around other people who feel that same thing, you know, it helps. It really does. So let's switch gears a little bit and let's talk about 2020 and the grief that people feel over basically a lost year because mm -hmm. I know there's a lot of people in this society right now that are grieving over the loss of money, the loss of home, loss of family members and friends who actually lost their lives to COVID. I mean, mm -hmm. lost the change of the world, how we know it? Cause that was a huge change yeah. last year. So let's talk about how to deal with that. We've, you know, I like how you said that the grief over a lost year, we lost an entire year of society. And like, not only that, and like, and like you said, we've lost, what, what is it now? 600,000 people in America from COVID. Mm -hmm. They say that for every one person who dies, they leave nine people who grieve that loss on average. So that's, you know, 4.5 million people just for, from COVID, just in America. And that's just death. We're not talking about all the other regular death that happens, like heart disease, cancer. You know, people die regularly every single day. And they're dying alone at the bedside, too, during that year because family members couldn't be with them. And the surviving family members are only dealing with that loss, but they're dealing with the fact that they couldn't be there. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge loss that's never going to be filled. We've lost, you know, loss of health loss of jobs, loss of financial security, loss of trust, loss of trust in our government, mm -hmm. right? Loss of faith in our societies. We've had, you know, race wars and Black Lives Matter and people uh, just going, you know, every, all of this, it's all loss. It's all grief. And right now, this is a unique point in history because every single person is grieving. We're all grieving some sort of loss. And this is the best time we're ever going to have in our lives to uh, to talk about this. Yep. Like as a na nationally and just change some of these policies and change some of this awkwardness and uncomfortableness we feel about. Them. Yeah, that is so true. I mean, because I don't think people when COVID first start, people actually believed it was actually happening. They thought it was the government conspiracy theory. But then it, when it came out, it was like all the hate toward the Asian community came out too. And I know the Corona beer sales, I'm just going to bring this up, went down because people were associating Corona with the coronavirus. And I'm like, mm -hmm. how 
you know, how do you get past the grieving the loss of intelligence as well? Because some people were just, were not even thinking right. Mm -hmm. That's funny. Grieving the loss of intelligence. Like, I don't, th I don't think it's intelligence, right? Like we, we, we feel how we feel and we, and how we think determines how we feel. And if how we think is based on every everyone around us, and if everyone around us is saying things like coronavirus is fake, then we're most likely to believe that. You know, I'm I'm from Tennessee originally, and you know, I lost my grandmother this past year, like a few months ago, actually. And you know, I re I remember that she died thinking that, you know, um, wondering what she was talking about how like she couldn't believe that they did all that stuff to uh mr trump and kicked him out of office and all of that because mm -hmm. you know, where she was that's the only thing she was hearing mm -hmm. right and like so it's it's not intelligence at all it's just who we are who we're around and what our society and what our media social media social media and radios and news outlets are saying to us so let's talk about that the the influence of social media on grief mm -hmm. because that is huge before you would grieve kind of in private and then the internet happened and then social media. And now it's like immediately almost to the point that people are posting on social media before they're actually telling their friends and family about a loss. Mm -hmm. There's a, there's a lot to social media and grief and I'm not really a social media expert. And I, and you know, this is my personal opinion, but I think social media is just very impersonal, mm -hmm. right? It's easier to be impersonal online. It's easier to say that I've had a loss online than it is to tell, tell someone in person. Cause maybe if I say it online, maybe I don't have to deal with it anymore. Mm -hmm. Maybe I don't have to say it 40, 50 times to 40 different people. Mm -hmm. Well, I've never even thought about that. So let's talk about how people can, deal with having to tell the story over and over and over mm -hmm. again because that's you know you, that's the last thing you when you're grieving want to have to explain what happened mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden you have to explain it mm -hmm. so yeah, how can they deal with that i have a whole lesson on my grieving at work course about this about how um or this is teaching a manager how to like bring their uh a grieving employee back into the workplace after bereavement leave, after a traumatic loss, right? And one of them, I just lost what I was going to say. <laughs> what was that question again? <laughs> it's like, how can you tell someone who is going through this and they have to explain like 40 or 50 times about something that's happened, especially if it's not a publicized mm. uh, loss. Yeah. How they have to tell people and yeah. then they're grieving all over again each time they tell the story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One, one of the, one of the things I recommended to do was to send out or you're, you're when, when you're an employee, you're, you're ideally talking to one person and I go over this in my course, but you're talking to one person, your point of contact in the company. Right. So you don't want to be talking to 50 different people in your company or your eight different managers. You just want one person. And that one person can share that with everyone, including things like, here's the funeral. If you want to send a gift, here's where to send it. And also, uh, thank you for, you know, all your love and concern. But, you know, please don't bring this up to me at work as 
you know, and we could say things like that that we really need to that are that's going to help us too. Yeah, but there's always that one or two people that I don't want to say nosy, but some of them are kind of nosy that they want to know all the circumstances around it. How do you tactfully deal with people like that when you're in the grieving process? If I'm grieving and I don't want to talk about it, I'm just, I'll just say, hey, thank you, but I can't talk about this right now. Yeah, Remember, but you're not accountable to anyone else. Right. They're curious. Right. That's uh, that's on them. Right. But if, if, if we don't have the energy, I talk a lot about energy, the energy of grief. Grief takes a tremendous amount of energy, mental, physical energy to grieve. And if we don't have it to give to someone else, it's OK to say no to that. It's yeah. empowering to say no to that. It's almost like you can get back a little piece of control of what you're feeling and um, you can control your feelings a little bit by saying no. Mm -hmm. Wow. I mean, how long, cause a lot of people like my sister died 26 years ago and I still grieve sometimes it, it'll hit me. So how long is the grieving process? You know, I have a fun graphic uh, there, that's, you know, there is no finish line in grief. There's no magic line that you're going to run over and suddenly everything's fine. Right. We've, we've lost a piece of ourselves in some cases and in some ways that's never going to be okay. Mm -hmm. It's not always going to be painful, right? The pain specifically is something we say goodbye to, but it's always going to be sad, right? When we have trauma, it's always going to be traumatic when we think about it. It's always going to be sad, but you know, it's not going to be painful. And that very specifically we say goodbye to. Now I know there's different types of grief, but the, what do you say to people that like someone dies like immediately and you don't even go through, you know, you, you don't even know. And all of a sudden one morning you wake up and they're gone. And then there's other people that have you know, like cancer or things like that or Alzheimer's and you've seen them slowly decline and it seems like the grieving process seems to last longer maybe with those because they start grieving from the time that the person was diagnosed up until the time they die yeah yeah those are those are two very different losses mm -hmm. uh you know i'll talk about the the sudden one first you know the, okay. the shock the trauma and you know that you know it, it might be a shorter experience but the grieving experience might be longer. It might be more traumatic because we don't have that time to say goodbye. We don't have the time to say, I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I forgive you and goodbye. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that, you know, the anticipatory bereavement is what I call it. You know, knowing some, knowing someone's getting older that you're going to have to say goodbye. It, you know, that's, that's a hard process in and of itself. That's, that's its own grief too. That's different to watch someone slowly die that you love. And, you know, with, with that, we're just being present as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And this is something that so many caregivers don't do is we have to take care of ourselves throughout mm -hmm. that process. Right. We self-care is not selfish. We have to fight for it. We have to do it. Because, you know, if like, for instance, if I'm not taking care of myself, I can't take or take care of anyone else. Yep. 
That is so true. And I, do you think that's a lot? You mentioned compassion fatigue in your um, little bio that you sent me. But I actually was interviewing a lady the other day that wrote a book. It's called Happy Vet, Happy Pet. And it talks about the incidence of suicide in veterinarians because of how they had to deal with the grieving process. So let's talk about compassion fatigue. You know, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. With this past year, this has been really hard for healthcare workers, you know, essential workers, but our veterinarians are also essential workers. And, you know, they have, you know, compassion fatigue and burnout, and they have one of the highest suicide rates in, in professionals, for professionals out there. And there's a lot to that. I get a lot of my clients calling in saying that, you know, they wish their vet had done this or seen that sooner or, you know, and there's a lot of anger that's around grief too, because, you know, with, with our pets, things happen suddenly, mm -hmm. right? We don't, we don't, they're just fine, 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 fine. And then just downhill dead that's a lot of the time. And that, that's the advent of medicine. And that's, and that's generally a good thing, but it's shocking and we tend to blame and we tend to go on social media and blame and harass. And there, there's a lot that veterinarians, there's a lot of abuse that they get that's you know unwarranted, really. That but but it derives from grief. So it doesn't it you know, it's coming from a very hurt place. So it's it's all of a little bit about you know, just you know, educating and being more compassionate. But I talk about compassion fatigue and, you know, it all goes back to self-care. Mm -hmm. If you're a veterinarian and you're listening to this, it goes back to your self-care. What, what things do you do every day to find pleasure? Do you find gratitude in what you do still? No, nobody wants to be a vet to harm animals. That just, mm -hmm. <laughs> that just doesn't happen. No. Right. There's plenty of other careers for that. So you go into veterinarians because you, you you care about animals you want to do good and that predominantly that's what happens yeah but the lady that I was interviewing the other day was talking about how you know with humans like if there is extreme measures that they tend to take the extreme measures to have the human to last longer but if there's a um a chance between an expensive procedure for your pet or putting your pet down a lot of people tend to choose but putting their pet down because of the fact that they don't see the, I don't want to say the value, but they see all, all they see is dollar signs. And they, and so the vets are really feeling that because they see a, a pet they can help, but because the person can't afford that particular um, protocol of, med, of medicines or whatever, they choose to put their pets down. And that's, I think a lot of times what deals vets deal with as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's hard too. And when we're thinking about the end of life for our pets, because because we have that choice, because we can put them to sleep and take away the pain, that's a different situation, mm -hmm. right? You know, our pets, you know, putting a 16-year-old dog through chemotherapy is, you know, it, it might be medically viable and it might help, but, you know, that 16-year-old dog is not going to know what's going on, why they're feeling sick mm -hmm. for months and months. You know, these last minute surgeries, they might help, but they might not improve the quality of life. Because yep. if your pet can't walk around, it's not like they can just, you know, Netflix and chill and wait to get better. Like, 
Mm-hmm. Like they have, they don't, they don't have that concept of, of, of death. They don't have the concept of I'll, I'll feel better in the future. Mm-hmm. They just know I'm feeling terrible now. Yeah, that is so true. Now, when we come back, um, we got to take a brief commercial break. But when we come back, I want to talk about grief in the workplace and what the cost of it is and how employers and employees can help each other in the workplace with the grief. So we'll be right back after a commercial. Hi, I'm Stratton Leopold from Leopold's Ice Cream in Savannah, Georgia. 11 years ago, we started the I Pledge Project, giving children who can recite the Pledge of Allegiance from memory a free scoop of ice cream. So join us. Over 200 shops across the country have over the last 11 years. Join us in July, National Ice Cream Month, and Independence Day for I Pledge for Ice Cream.com. And we are back. Now, so let's talk about grief in the workplace. You know, first of all, how long should people stay out of work when they're grieving process? That's a loaded question. <laughs> Sorry, Franz. You know, uh, in, in the U.S., we typically have three to five days of bereavement leave. You know, that's, you know, the, the, the three to five days is something that we give to have people, you know, let them off work for the most traumatic portion of it. You know, the crying on the floor kinds of part of it, the planning the funeral, that kind of stuff. But as we know, you know, that that doesn't go away after the three or five days. I mean, it's, you know, m- Monday morning, a week from now, they're going to be right back in the office and you know, all of that's still there. You know, there's, you know, I talk a lot about the the cost of grief and, you know, how just giving people the time and space they need to heal is going to ultimately save money. It's it ultimately retain that employee, you know, they'll, they'll be better mentally, physically, and they'll just be more committed and, and, and engaged in the job when we give them time and space to heal. So when they come back to the office on Monday, they're not going to be okay. And we can be prepared and have that be okay too. Mm-hmm. Maybe have a lighter work schedule for them for the next a week or two. You know, maybe like, a, like allow what I call for uh, grief breaks. 15 minutes, like when, when, when grief strikes and like anyone who's grieved and like really grieved knows that it just comes out of warning sometimes, out of left field. And a, a lot of times when that happens, people go home for the day instead of just taking 15 minutes and just managing their grief, maybe taking a walk around the building, you know, chilling out in the break room, what have you, and then going back to work. And then you don't, you don't lose the whole day. You just lose, you know, a little bit. And, and a lot of things I recommend are these, these little things that we can do to help out. Because yeah. I know a lot of people... The grief really doesn't, I mean, sure, it sets in right when um, right when the person dies, but a lot of it really sets in after they go through the motions of planning the funeral and the funeral takes place and everybody else leaves and they're left alone. That's when a lot of times when the grief really sets in on people. Mm-hmm. So how can they help manage that? Yeah. You know, when we have that death, like you were talking about, it's just a whirlwind, a blur of activity until they're in the ground and we're back at work. No real time to really process what that ongoing emptiness is going to be like. You know, some of the hardest times for people in grief are, you know, at the end of the day, 
you know, like when we're going home for the day, for instance, right close to five, you know, like when we're at work, we can be distracted. We're busy. We're mentally focused and engaged at work. But towards the end of the day, we know we're going home to that empty house, to that loss, facing that loss day after day. That is where the work of grief actually happens. And, you know, that's where we can do the most help too. Because, you know, like we talked about earlier, there's no timeline in grief. Mm -hmm. like this can go on for weeks and months. And when, as, as an employee, you know, grief takes your productivity away. It may, might lower you from 100% down to 70% or 60%, now, which, which is okay at the beginning, right? But if you're, like we said, grieving for weeks and months, that adds up to a lot of money real fast. And one of the things I like to recommend is to, you know, have a buddy at work that you can talk with about this. Have a support system at work. You know, th these are things that, you know, employers can create over time, especially larger ones, you know, a thousand or more employees. There are certainly people who have had similar losses in that, in that big of an employee pool. And it's just. So you just brought up this, sorry, I interrupted, but so do you think it should, it would benefit the companies to have someone on staff that is like a grief counselor to help with issues like this? Well, there's a lot of companies that do, you know, it's not necessarily, it's not necessary to have a paid person on staff. You know, a lot of what we do or we, we can do to help out in grief is peer counseling, mm -hmm. you know, your friends and your family, just showing up over and over again, just being understanding, holding space. You know, that doesn't take any time or training, really. Just compassion and showing up consistently. Mm. So let's talk about how much grief cost, grief in the workplace costs businesses. You know, I often quote this statistic. This is done by the Grief Recovery Institute back in 2002. 2002, so almost 20 years ago, they, they estimated it's, it cost employers in the United States $100 billion a year in lost productivity due to grief and trauma. Yeah. Now, I, I'm thinking now it's probably a quarter of a trillion dollars a year. Last year was an anomaly, but I'm, I'm thinking 2019, mm -hmm. right? Quarter of a trillion. Last year is something else. Totally something else. And, and, and what's what's really fun is that all this grief from last year, this lost year, it's still with us. Mm -hmm. As society, you know, as we start to open up, which in San Francisco we opened up yesterday, right? As we start to open up, everyone, everyone's going to want to go and forget about it and move on and get back to normal mm -hmm. and just push all this under the rug, like we, like we as society love to do with grief. And we can't let that happen because all of this grief is still there, right? Pretending it, it doesn't, it doesn't exist is, is going to be a huge detriment for us. So what can business leaders do to help support their employees that are grieving? You already talked about the 15 minute breaks mm -hmm. and lighten the workload, but what else can they do to help? Well, um, I have a whole course that just teaches you about grief, teaches management and HR and leaders about grief what it is, what to say, what not to say to people in grief. 
you know, like, you know, they're in a better place or time mm -hmm. heals all wounds, or why don't you just go get another dog? Or at least you can try again to have another baby. Mm -hmm. You know, th these are terrible things that people say that may be very well-meaning people, but these are things that are told to us our whole lives. You know, that, that our parents learn from their parents and so forth. And a lot of this is just education and it's just learning about grief and normalizing it. Yeah, because I don't think that's something that a lot of people talk about. They don't talk about when they're grieving. They don't talk about their feelings. They don't talk about their emotions. Mm -hmm. uh, they're depressed because they're in the grieving process. Yeah. Something that is there's a stigma around it. If you're not a happy person all the time and if you may need medicine to help you get through the grieving process, then something's definitely wrong with you. There's that stigma mm -hmm. there. Yeah. And it's not just a stigma with grief. It's a stigma with mental health in general, right? Right. It's all yep. of it because we're only allowed to be happy, horny, angry in this society. And those are the three emotions that are okay. Anything, anything other than that, you know, um, you know, depressed, you know, like anything is just frowned upon. You heard that quote, uh, laugh and the world laughs with you cry and you cry alone. I always thought it was, it, it, it's a little bit ludicrous to think of it that way, because imagine how ridiculous it would be if every time you laughed, you had to get up and walk out of a room because you didn't want to infect everyone else with how you're feeling. Wow. That's a deep thought right there. Yeah. Every single person is grieving right now. Every single person is. And just acknowledging that right there you know, it helps normalize grief and make it okay. Make grief to be okay. We all grieve, we can't run from it. 100% of us will experience grief at some point in our lives. Mm -hmm. Wow. So our time is almost up. Do you have any one last little nugget to share with people about the grieving process or about grief in general? Well, grief is universal. And there's a great book by Megan Devine, I think that, you know, she talks about, it's okay not to be okay. It's okay to feel however we feel. And we can, and if we let all of us, if we all let that be okay, you know, that's one of the best things that we can do for one another. Yeah, because I think a lot of people are not, are thinking that they need to get over what happened last year. And it's, it's going to take some time for everybody to get back to the, maybe not to where they were before, because I don't think the world's ever going to go back to being normal, mm -hmm. but you got to think about what we gained instead of what we lost last mm -hmm. year. Yeah, exactly. Now we, so, so Kevin, tell us where people can find you. I would love to. So my uh, pet cloud, petcloud.pet petcloud.pet uh you, you just put net up but it's dot pet <laughs> it's a fun top level domain and you know that's for our whole community around pet loss here we go you know that's our whole community around pet loss and we have support groups that meet almost every day of the week and my other uh place you can find me is grieving at work.com and that's all about training management and HR, how to support grieving employees in the workplace. How do you teach them to be compassionate? Because that is something you can teach. 
Yeah, you can. So once again, Kevin, I want to thank you for coming on chats from the blog cabin and sharing about grief. This is a topic topic that a lot of people don't want to talk about. So thank you for holding that space to, for allowing people to talk about it. Thank you so much, Melissa, for having me on. Really appreciate it. So guys, we will see you on the next chat from the blog cabin. Be blessed and keep chatting. Chats from the blog cabin. Hit subscribe and don't miss the next episode.